Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, everybody, I uh, I promised that I would finish this uh, kind of mini-series just on the transgender question with um, answering some questions that people might have with respect to this issue. H- how should we think as Christians about engaging transgender people? What should we do in certain situations? How can we think biblically about practice, pra- you know, yeah. <laughs> practical situations that we may find ourselves in. It's it's that kind of thing that we're going to look at today. And I thought actually that what I would start with is the one that is probably most front of mind for a lot of people, and that's this. Um, should I use someone's preferred pronouns if they identify as a different gender from their biological sex? So, um, this is something that people are encountering at work or at school or uh, even sometimes at church, perhaps. Uh, and in social contexts, you know, you meet someone who is a transgender person and they ask that you refer to them as uh, their preferred pronoun. Uh, that pronoun could be, um, you know, a gendered pronoun or it could be one of the, you know, a neutral pronoun like they or it could be one of these newer pronouns like zer uh, or, or something like that. And the question is, of course, uh, should you comply? Like, should you comply with that request? And of course, you're not going to like this maybe, but um, the response is, well, it depends. <laughs> um, a passage that helps me think through this is actually uh, from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. And maybe when you hear these verses, you'll think to yourself, what in the world? What does this have to do with it? But hopefully it'll make sense to you as we, we walk through it. So this is what Proverbs 26 says. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Very interesting proverb. Um, and there's a principle in these two verses. First of all, what is a fool? Um, a fool is not someone who is stupid or silly or something like that, at least not according to the Bible. In the Bible, a fool is someone who is not orienting their life around the creator God of the Bible. Uh, so I'm not implying something demeaning about transgender people here when I use this proverb. Okay, let me make that clear. The fool in the Bible is simply someone uh, who doesn't have a Christian worldview. That's probably the simplest way to put it. And the proverb is saying that there are times when you should not run with an unbiblical way of thinking. So there are times when you should not indulge someone's unbiblical way of thinking out of concern that you might become like that person in your own thinking. That's what the first proverb is saying. So it says, answer a fool not according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. In other words, if you think, okay, I'm going to join in that particular unbiblical way of thinking, the danger is that this way of thinking could eventually kind of win you over and it becomes your way of thinking, okay? But then on the other hand, 
There are times when you should adopt someone's unbiblical way of thinking so that over time you can hopefully show that person why that way of thinking doesn't work. And that's why we need biblical wisdom. Um, and, and that's also why they need biblical wisdom. So let me, let me just apply this to this question of pronouns. If I meet someone for the first time who identifies as uh, transgender, let's say this is a, um, a biological male who identifies as a woman um, and has a female name. In that instance, my instinct is that I want to be able to share Christ with them at some point. Okay, And so I want to practice what's sometimes called pronoun hospitality. Uh, you might hear that term someday. Maybe you've heard it already, pronoun hospitality. And what I mean by that term, it's not my term, but what I mean by it is I would rather that I was the one feeling uncomfortable rather than the other person feeling uncomfortable. And it's because I don't want to close down the possibility of future conversation. So in those instances, I'll probably be willing to use their language. If, if I don't agree to that, it will likely mean that it would be the end of our conversation. It, it might mean that it's the end of, of any opportunity um, for me to continue uh, in relationship with that person to the point where I can actually introduce Christ. And so I want to be the one who is accommodating and hospitable in that circumstance. Uh, and this actually happened a couple years ago at our church, three years ago now probably. Uh, we were ministering to someone in the community who was a trans woman. And so when I was interacting with that person, they were not a Christian, but they were interested in spiritual things and they were curious about Christianity. And so I would use the pronouns that they preferred uh, because I wanted to, at least in time, be able to present present sorry to them not only not only the gospel but a vi biblical view of gender and sexuality now <laughs> look the danger is to do this simply because we're conflict adverse and i i totally get that don't forget i'm canadian eh? a <laughs> um i am super conflict adverse more than people think i am actually um but that's not a truly biblical or, or Christian reason to accommodate a person's preferences. It's for the sake of winning a hearing for the gospel that I would do that. So that's in that situation. Now, there will be other times. Let's say someone in my church who's been part of my church for a long time, they identified as a Christian and I know them well. I have a long-standing relationship with them. Let's say they come to me and they say, look, I now want you to call me this instead of that and address me by this pronoun instead of that pronoun. So that's a very different circumstance, right? This is someone who presumably knows the gospel, has heard the gospel, has, has said they believe the gospel, understands scripture's teaching, um, and in that instance, I'm likely not going to do that because in that case, this is someone who does know differently and they know me and they know what the church teaches. They profess to be a mature, a mature Christian. And 
so I would be required to say, I'm sorry, I can't agree with that. And in that case, Proverbs 26, verse 5 would apply. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So you're addressing the folly. So that's what, what Proverbs means when it says, answer a fool according to his folly. You're, you're actually addressing the folly. When you answer not a fool according to their folly, that means you're not pointing out their folly to them, just to make that clear. So I would have to confront the folly. I would have to address directly the unbiblical worldview that they're adopting in order to bring about correction. And of course, listen, that's part of a longer conversation that would unfold over time, one that I would hope that they would be happy having as time goes on. Um, but that's the basic gist of it. Uh, let me give you a similar uh, situation. Um, okay, a parent of a member of my church comes to me and says that their daughter, let's say, now identifies as a boy and asks that we address their child as a boy and refer to their child as a boy. Now, before I can decide exactly what to do, I have to understand the situation to understand best how to address the parents. Um, it's important to remember that the same request can be made with very different motivations. Okay, so for example, a parent can hold to the Bible's teaching on this issue, um, but they're trying to parent wisely. Maybe they're, this is a teenager child, and they're feeling suicidal, and so the parent's request to me is based on a desire to enable their child to feel able to keep coming to church with increase, with, with, without increasing, sorry, their, their temptation to help self-harm or suicide or expanding their suicidal ideation. Um, and at the same time, the parent is trying to model and disciple their child according to the Bible's teaching at home, in, or sorry, in the home. So, so that parent requires different help than a parent who comes to you and says, my daughter is a trans boy, we're fine with it. We've told this child that God honors their chosen identity, and we think that it is in our child's best interest that you uh, follow along. So those are two different situations. And I'm, I'm sympathetic to, at least in the first situation, to consider using the child's preferred pronouns um, in the church context. I, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to that. I'm less so with the second situation. Um, but I think, actually, for the sake of consistency and integrity, I think, and remember, this is, I'm thinking. I, I'm not certain about this, but I'm, I think church leadership would have to say that they were unable to comply with the request. Or, or expect anyone else in the church to do this. Um, because it goes against what the Bible teaches about who this child is. Okay? Now, if we weren't to comply with the request, obviously that would be accompanied by a lot of compassion and prayer. 
And then especially putting structures in place to support and counsel the parents and the child, if the child's willing. You know, you don't just say, no, we can't do that and leave it like that. Of course not. That would be incredibly uncaring. That's likely going to be harder to do for the parent who affirms their child's decision to identify as trans, but you still have to try. You still have to reach out in love and grace and compassion and try to work with families. So, again, I, I hold these decisions not entirely tenuously. It's not that I, I, I have no confidence in the rightness of them, but I am totally open to correction and I'm open to the context requiring the, the, the way we handle this to be nuanced. Okay, um, but I'm like I said, I promised I would try to answer some questions, so I'm trying to answer some questions as best as I can. Well, here's another one. What do you do if a colleague at work wants you to refer to them by preferred pronouns? You know, you work with someone who was a man for many years, and now they've told you that they're a woman, and they want you to refer to to them as such. And that's that's a tough one to answer as well. Um, and of course, again, there's lots of context that needs to be fleshed out to provide the most accurate answer because all circumstances are, are somewhat unique, right? Uh, I said it before, when, if you've met one trans person, that means you've met one trans person. But I, if I were to give some general principles, I think this is what I, what I would offer. First of all, um, try hard to avoid using pronouns at all. You know, when you're speaking directly to someone, it's very rare that you would ever need to use a pronoun to refer to them anyway. So that's not such a big issue. Uh, and when you're referring to that person in conversation with others, I, I would suggest try to use their proper name rather than a pronoun. I mean, some names are gendered, of course, but a lot of names like for example, Leslie or Ashley or Addison, these are all names that have actually switched genders over time. And so that happens to proper names. And nicknames don't always follow conventional gender patterns either, right? Um, I know that some of you will disagree with me on that, and that's fine. I don't think this is a hill to die on, though. That's just my opinion. And so I would use their proper name whenever possible. And you can also, um, when you're referring to them, to others, uh, you could try using the generic they. And that's not all that strange either. Um, let's say I'm talking to Kate at church about something Mark, Mark mentioned to me, right? Um, normally I would say, well, he said that X, blah, 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 blah. But it's not that strange to say, well, they said that blah, 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 blah. Um, under strict grammatical rules, that's technically incorrect, but people talk like that all the time in casual conversation. I mean, since when is the word like a modifier and it's like used like, like constantly, man. Um, and you know, the same is the case for a lot of written communication, people using bad grammar in memos and emails all the time. You know, just when Grammarly tries to tell you to fix something, you ignore it. <laughs> um, anyway, I guess what I'm saying is try hard 
to avoid facing the issue directly. And you might say, wait a minute, that is that is that cowardly? And I'm not saying you do it because you're a coward. I'm saying you're doing it because you want to be biblical. And here's my support for that. Paul, in Romans 12, verse 18, he says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So it's not cowardly. It's not a cop-out to avoid the problem if you can. It's an attempt to live at peace with everyone. Um, now, if you're being pressed to affirm trans rights or trans identities, you should be prepared to answer with what you believe. Uh, you could say something like, hey, uh, look, we live in a pluralistic world, and so I think that diverse choices and opinions are part of true liberty. And I don't want to force my trans colleague to talk in a certain way, so I'd ask to be given the same freedom. Uh, if you're pressed further, you could point out that you know, lots of people around the world come from different religious or philosophical traditions that have strong beliefs about gender identity. You're not unique. You're not that strange. And you're not asking them to adopt any of those beliefs that are shared by many of people around the world. You're just asking for the freedom to live out of your religious identity, just as the other person wants to live out of their sexual identity. And if that's not good enough, maybe you just ask them straight up. You know, are you demanding that billions of people from many cultures and religions around the world abandon their convictions <laughs> um, for you? Or can we live peaceably with our differences? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that that's going to go over real well. But I'm, I'm just trying to help you kind of think it through what's the best way to, to tackle this. Now, what if it's a family member? What if you have a sibling who is transgender? What do you do about that? Do you refuse to call them by their preferred pronoun? I mean, if you do, you may run the risk of losing that relationship for good. And if you don't, you may run the risk of aiding and abetting a sinful choice. And again, look, I'm not entirely sure if this is right, um, but I'm just going to put it out there as something to consider because I know that there are folks who are in this situation and they wonder. Um, so here's some food for thought. I'm going to draw a comparison, okay? Maybe it's wrong. I don't know, but I'm going to try. My dad uh, has a lot of non-Christian family. Uh, he may be the only Christian in his family and in his extended family. So most of his family are, are non-believing. And my dad is also not shy about sharing his faith. He loves to tell people about Jesus. And I think the only person I know anyway who might be more bold at it than he is, is his wife. <laughs> anyway, um, my dad has has in the past, he's shared the gospel with much of his family, and he's done it multiple times. And he's also been told to stop doing it. And so he's tried, 
and he's been asked to stop. And so respectfully, he does. Now, the door is always open for them to inquire if they want to. And he sometimes makes it really obvious that he's got that door wide, wide open and he's inviting their inquiry and he he doesn't stop being himself. He still speaks about his own relationship with Jesus to his family members, but he doesn't press it with them because they've asked him not to. And here's what I'm suggesting. You share your heart, your faith, your convictions, your beliefs, and your love with your transgender sibling or close friend or whatever. You don't hide it. You're totally honest. And then if they tell you, okay, I've heard you, can you please stop? You stop. And you respect their request. Not because you're conflict averse, not because you're afraid of backlash, but because you've spoken clearly already. And then you make it ridiculously easy for them to broach the subject with you whenever they want. And the way you do that is by killing every judgmental bone in your body and adopting an obvious posture of grace. You work the gospel into your heart. You pound it into you. The gospel says that you yourself are more wicked than you ever dared imagine, that you are deserving of God's judgment, but he in his kindness withheld judgment from you and placed it upon Jesus because he loves you and cherishes you more than you could ever dare imagine. That's the gospel. And therefore, your trans sibling, your trans friend or whatever, they are no different from you in the fact that, that they are in need of the same grace that you have received, right? Grace is not proud. It is not rude. It is open. It is vulnerable. It is approachable. You can't look down on anybody else if you have been saved entirely by grace. You cannot. And when that sinks deeply into your heart, when that becomes sort of the controlling perspective on how you view the world around you, that will come out of you. And it will make you convicted on the one hand, you have your convictions, but it will make you incredibly open and compassionate on the other hand. And so out of respect and love for them, you avoid using pronouns and you use the chosen proper name as much as you can. And of course, you pray. You pray that they would meet Jesus the way you have, that they would encounter his overpowering love the biggest problem, listen, the biggest problem is not that they're trans. Their biggest problem, just like your biggest problem and my biggest problem, is that they are a sinner. And so the first thing that everyone of us needs is Jesus and his love. Now, you might be saying, hey, wait a minute, are you saying that they're not a Christian? that you can't be a Christian and be trans at the same time? And that is a great question. If, if what I just said led you there, brilliant. That's good thinking. 
And this is the last question I'm going to answer today. Um, first of all, to be a Christian means to believe God's revelation in his word and in his world. Right? In past episodes, I've tried to show that God's revelation in his word and his world, both, unambiguously teach the sexual binary of male and female as well as the gender distinction of man and woman. And I've also tried to show that the Bible consistently teaches that we are to align our sense of gender identity as a man or woman with our biological sex. So our identity is defined by God in his purposes for creation and his new creation in Christ. So, to deny or overturn that distinction is to nullify or reject God's revelation both in Scripture and in nature. And you can go to Romans 1.18 and see that the Bible calls this suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And so the settled rejection of God's purposes for us as male and female cannot be reconciled with following Christ. Someone can embrace transgender identity or find their identity in Christ, but not both. They are incompatible with one another. And we know this especially because Jesus himself, he upheld the sex and gender binary in Matthew 19, a passage that we've looked at before. Now, that doesn't mean that someone who struggles with gender dysphoria or gender identity conflicts is not a Christian. All Christians wrestle with life in this fallen world in one way or another. We're talking about whether someone embraces the trans identity in direct and willful opposition to God's will for us. Okay? Now, having said that, it's possible to sin in all kinds of ways in ignorance rather than willfully and knowingly. Okay? Right? A new Christian might not know that they're called to honor their parents or that lust is sinful. Uh, I've met many new Christians who, when you start teaching them about certain things that they kind of took for granted, they're surprised when they discover that, oh, that kind of behavior is actually out of line with God's will. And, and that can happen in this situation as well. The key is that when they read in Scripture that obedience to God means changing in these areas, they'll work to do so with God's help. Um, likewise, it would be possible to identify as transgender and also be trusting Christ as Lord because one hasn't yet realized the implications of Christ's lordship in this area of their life. But when they do realize it, a Christian would more and more accept Christ's lordship over their self-understanding of gender. Okay, let me say that again. When they do realize it, a Christian would more and more accept Christ's lordship over their self-understanding of gender with God's help rather than... Okay, I said that twice. I don't have to say it again. Now, you might say, well, does that mean that they should stop identifying as the chosen gender uh, and begin identifying as their biological sex and, uh, and gender? And I would say, I think so. I think that if you are a trans woman 
and you come to faith in Christ and you discover what freedom in Christ looks like, freedom from sin and freedom from uh, slavery to sin, that would include freedom from the slavery of your own self-identifying urges, okay? And so you would look to God as the one who gives you your identity. You would look to Christ as the one who redeems your identity, and you would see that your identity, as Psalm 139 would say, was was given you by God when he knit you together in your mother's womb. And so you would seek to align your sense of gender with the biological sex that God has given you. Now, what if they've had surgery? Should they get surgery again to reverse the effects of the the surgery? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know enough about the medical side of things to answer that question well, I just don't. Uh, and so I don't have an answer for that. Um, all I know is, is that, you know, uh, gender affirming surgery in order to change your gender is highly invasive surgery. And it's a very traumatic experience for people to go through. Whether they're happy with the results or not, it's a very traumatic experience. And to have to go through that again, I don't know if that is the right thing or not. I, I just, I don't have an answer for that. Okay, well, that's it for today's episode, episode guys. I, I remind you once again that, that I held these or I hold these beliefs with conviction. And the counsel that I'm trying to give, I think, is rooted in a biblical worldview and a, and a biblical perspective, but I am, again, I'm open to correction. I am not an expert on, you know, uh, transgender issues. I'm just a pastor trying to figure out how to equip my people to think biblically through these issues. And so I may get things wrong. And if I do, please forgive me for that. This is, this is the best I got for now. And maybe my ideas on some of these things will change over time. Anyway, that's it for this episode. We're going to turn our attention to uh, the issue of sexual orientation and dive a lot deeper into that one uh, next time. But for now, this has been the Clearer Thinking Podcast with your host, Paul Vandenbrink from Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening, everybody, and take care. Bye-bye.